0: And what are glycans? Well, if you're unfamiliar with the topic, don't worry, most scientists and doctors aren't that familiar either. My guest today is Gordon Lautz, and he is a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at the University of Zagreb. It's going to take me a while to read his resume, but he's also the director of the National Center of Scientific Excellence in Personalized Healthcare. He's an honorary professor at the University of Edinburgh and the King's College London and a member of the Johns Hopkins Society of Scholars. It's a mouthful. He's also initiated the launch of the Human Glycome Project and is one of its two co-directors. So you can guess as to why I had Gordon on the show, but I'm also excited to go deep into glycans, why we really don't understand that much about them, the difference between glycans and aegis, which is something I've talked to uh, Aubrey de Grey about, and so many other topics, particularly how glycans could be useful in studying longevity. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash glycan, that's G-L-Y-C-A-N, and enjoy this conversation with Professor Gordon Lautz. Nootropics come in all shapes and sizes. And in this world that is biohacking, sometimes smart drugs get wrongfully lumped in and called nootropics. So at prescriptions, we decided to redefine nootropics to reflect a more modern day definition. And nootropics come in three different classifications. They come in health optimization nootropics, those that improve your brain health, for instance, performance optimization nootropics, those that improve really your brain's performance, and then bluetropics, which include both of the above. And what is the classic blue tropic stack, if you will? And that is blue cannitine. Blue cannitine comes with nicotine, hemp crystals, caffeine, and of course, methylene blue. They're combined in micro amounts synergistically to deliver a four to six hour limitless ride with no come down at all. Best of all, you end up with a blue tongue. And why is that point of no come down important? If you look at some of the classic smart drugs, the comedown can be actually quite violent and actually impact your performance the next day. And who really wants that? So if you want to try out a Bluetropic stack, and if you want to try out Blue Canatine or Just Blue, head on over to Troscriptions.com and use the code BOOMER, and we'll give you 10% off your purchase. Let's get back to the show. Professor Gordon Louts University of Zagreb and so many other places welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, before we get into the topic of the day, which is of course glycans, I I have to ask the question of all of the subjects to study in science, of all of the things in the world to study. How did you arrive at spending a lot of time researching glycans?
1: Well, Glycans are the most interesting. I'm actually in the field for 30 years and something which is puzzling me. So when I was studying biology, we were taught that bacteria have 5,000 genes while humans have at least 100,000 because we are so much more complicated. And then we learned that humans have only around 20,000 genes. So our genes are maybe four or five times more complicated than the genes of a single bacteria. So it is obviously not genes and proteins they code, which make us so diverse. When I say us, I mean all multicellular organisms, all the plants, all the animals. And there has to be something more. And these are actually glycans or all the post-translational modifications and the glycans are the most advanced post-translational modification. So when we think about a gene, it gives one or several protein products. And this protein can be converted into hundreds or thousands of different glycoproteins by the process of glycosylation. And this is what enables intercellular recognition. This is what is regulating our immune system. This is actually what enabled life. And I'm in the field for over 30 years now, and it's, it was fun.
0: Well, all right. That's left me with a lot of areas where we can explore. And I know we have a little bit of time today, but uh, let's let's start out with just some basics here and laying foundations for people who may be coming across glycans for the first time. Uh, Glycans, one of the, I believe, four macromolecules. What exactly is a glycan? if you don't mind laying down the basics for everybody.
1: Chemically, glycan is oligosaccharide. So several monosaccharides, like glucose or galactose, those commonly known sugars, combine into a three-dimensional structure, which has an immense structural capacity, information capacity, because all main other biopolymers of like life like uh, DNA, like proteins, they are linear. So it's just a sequence of units, while glycans are branched. So they don't have only this linear information, they have this structural information in this branching, which enables a huge variety. And when you have a variety of chemical structures, then you can develop a variety of functions. So chemically, they're olivosaccharides, which are being added as blocks to proteins, but also to lipids and even even to uh, DNA in some aspects. And they generate biomolecules, which have specific functions. So it's, um, it's one class of biomolecules, but the, the most complex one, and this is why not so many people are working on them because until recently we didn't have tools. We didn't have analytical methods how to study glycans.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Gordon, I- I'm gonna break that down just a little bit because earlier you said post post translational uh, in-, in terms of how a glycan uh, cu- is it how a glycan originates is sort of in the post translational world or how how would I explain that in simplified terms?
1: So, translation is a process in which you make a protein from a DNA. Yep. So, there is a sequence of letters in DNA, which are then translated to a protein made on a ribosome, and then you have a protein. And then there is a process called post-translational, meaning after you assemble this polypeptide part, then you add other things. This could be phosphorylation, for example. Mm-hmm. And the most elaborate part of post-translational modifications is glycosylation. So glycans are added first as a precursor, which is then further being modified to get the final glycon structure, which will then do the function. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. So when, all right, so we have our post-translational process laid out here. And then when it comes to uh, just... Really, why I would just love to understand from your end, other than the complications of assessing these, why in discussions of things like proteomics or genomics, do you think that glycans don't come up in general conversation? Is it just the complexity of it?
1: So they're coming more and more. So Mm -hmm. until maybe a decade ago, if people would do proteomics, they would first cut off the glycans to be able to study the protein. We, because a single peptide would diversify into dozens or maybe even hundreds of glycopeptides, which made them impossible to measure. So protomic people tended to remove glycans and then study just the proteins just because they were too difficult to study. But now there are new technologies which enable also at least part of the glycans to be included in the proton. So there are more and more protonic people also looking at glycans. Also from the genetic point of view, normally proteins encoded by a single gene, but the glycans do not have a genetic template. So it's a dozens of genes working together to define a single glycan. So it's another layer of complexity which requires some time for people to start working on it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So when... They go through this post-translational modification and become the glycoprotein. Um, and please correct my language here if I uh, if I misspeak. But the implications of this uh, in terms of our how our body functions—obviously, these are essential for life but can we just go into some of the glycan proteins in terms of where they would function uh, within our bodies? Is it, You mentioned the immune system, for instance, um, and uh, I'm assuming, I, I know there's a correlation to cardiovascular disease, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but what are some of the uh, functions that glycans serve within our body?
1: So practically all cells are covered with glycans. So all the interaction between the, all the microorganisms bacteria viruses and us generally go through glycans this is one big aspect another big aspect is the regulation of the immune system because the immune system is our weapon main weapon we have to fight all the pathogens and the fine tuning on the immune system is also done by glycosylation for example antibodies antibodies are one of the main weapons in the immune system arsenal, they recognize every foreign object and then bind to it. Mm -hmm. But after binding to a foreign object, antibodies have to decide what to do because the foreign object could be a bit of dust, something we eat, or it could be a virus. And the response to something which is completely irrelevant, like something we just inhale and it's non-dangerous, this should be ignored while the mm-hmm. virus should be killed. And mm-hmm. this decision, at least one part of these decisions by the immune system on the antibodies are made by glycans. So you can put the glycan, which is kind of a killer glycan. And then mm-hmm. if the antibody binds to a cell, it kills the cell. This is for example, the way how we are finding enveloped viruses. So things like influenza or the coronaviruses, if there is a cell with a virus antibody binds and kills. The infected cell. Mm-hmm. While in some other things, some other aspects, for example, if the this foreign object is food, then we have to ignore it. Otherwise, we have a food allergies. So yeah. we put a different kind of a glycan which is actually shutting down the inflammation. And when we are young, our immunoglobulins mostly have glycans which are suppressing inflammation. Mm-hmm. So young people. Are mostly suppressing information then they generally uh fight with everything better then they, they don't get ill so much they do not develop cancers and such a thing because our immune system is working mm-hmm. but as we are getting older and remember that we were not genetically made to live in our 70s and 80s yeah because yeah. there is a genetic pressure to reproduce mm-hmm. and after you have made all your babies Genetically, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't transfer to the next generation. So mm-hmm. old people is, and under old, I mean, practically everybody above 45, probably, or 50. So older, middle age, uh, their immune system starts to become much more inflammatory. And then this inflammation is exhausting the body. It's spending huge amount of energy, and for example, this could even be treated by um, infusion of immunoglobulins from young people. You take immunoglobulins from young people, put it in older people, and then the inflammatory diseases suppress. It's actually it's a it's a regular therapy for many inflammatory diseases called IVIG intravenous immunoglobulins. Mm-hmm. But this process of translating from Immunoglobulins which suppress inflammation to immunoglobulins which promote inflammation is something which is very individual. There are some young people who can have very pro inflammatory immunoglobulins, and there are some older people who still have these young immunoglobulins. And this is what makes this is one of the aspects that make us different and make us respond differently to different challenges. Make us less or more sensitive to different diseases and so on. Okay,
0: so again, a lot, a lot of things that can go down there, Gordon. Uh, but uh, perhaps before we get into the whole longevity discussion and the um, the, the perhaps active tasks that people can take in order to reduce uh, the pro-inflammatory glycans. Uh, you, I've had a conversation before with Aubrey de Grey and he obviously uh, talks about advanced glycation and products. And if you don't mind, I would love to just kind of understand the differences here between ages and, and glycans as you analyze them, or at what stage is he analyzing advanced glycation and products?
1: This is very important to emphasize that these are two completely different things. Okay. Cool. So, uh um, Advanced glycation end products are a result of a chemical reaction between the glucose and proteins. So glucose, which aldehyde reacts to the amino groups in proteins, and then it's being converted, and then these are these advanced glycation end products, Mm -hmm. which are kind of um, indicator of uh, glucose Mm overload. This happens with when people have glucose spikes, when they're losing glucose control. And this is one of the measures of the damage, kind of a metabolic damage, mm-hmm. which is leading to diabetes. But beside the fact that this is glucose, which is a monosaccharide, and that the name is glycos- glycosylation, there is nothing in common between the advanced glycation and products. And, and glycans that I'm talking about. The glycans I'm talking about are the product of a very regulated biosynthetic pathway with the hundreds of enzymes. And if there is a different glycan, this is a decision of the immune system based on some kind of a signaling, some kind of a signaling network, and then enzymatic reaction. Mm-hmm. So although in some aspect, they showed a similar thing, aging of an organism, Mechanistically and biologically, these are two completely different things.
0: Oh, thank you for clarifying that for me. That was a somewhat confusing. Uh, what I was doing a little bit of research here, uh, the information capacity of glycans actually seems quite endless. And so, when we're looking at you know things like genomes and epigenomes, all of this appears to be encompassed in a glycan. Do I have that right? in terms of how we look at things?
1: So glycan is a product of dozens of genes. So every polymorphism in each of these genes will affect the glycan. But also in addition to polymorphism, which are differences in the sequence, so-called gene variants, there's epigenetic regulation of these same genes. So some of these genes can be silenced epigenetically and epigenetics is a kind of a memory of our past environment. So what happened in the past gets written in the epigenetics, but then it gets erased before it goes to the next generation. So genetics goes from through generations, epigenetics is generally within an individual. Also there's, but there is a bit of transfer of epigenetic information through generations, but not that much. And the third aspect is environment because glycosylation is also a metabolic process which requires building blocks and energy and everything else. So genetics, epigenetics and metabolism integrate into the final glycan. So all these aspects of our life, our genes, our past um, environment or our past lifestyle and our current lifestyle integrate together to make a glycan this is why glycans are so responsive to interventions for example people can lose weight and the glycans change people can change diet and the glycans change people can even change the sleep pattern and glycans can change this is what makes them very important um, indicator or a biomarker of what is actually going on
0: so on on that point of sleep changing glycans or, uh, let's say, nutritional patterns changing glycans. How fast is that shift typically? And perhaps this is sort of the transition over into the longevity aspect of the discussion. Meaning, is it one night and your glycans change? Or is it uh, over a period of, let's say, three months, do the glycans shift in particular?
1: Here, we should not be generalizing Mm -hmm. because glycans is extremely wide. Of course, of course. Let's focus, for example, my research is now mostly on immunoglobulin glycans. Mm -hmm. So glycans which regulate antibodies. Mm -hmm. And these glycans in principle takes weeks to months to change. Okay. Because immunoglobulin itself has a half-life of several weeks. So immunoglobulins which are circulating in my blood now were made a couple of weeks ago. And
0: just as an example of immunoglobulins, can we use like food sensitivities, for instance? Here, would that be okay, or something else?
1: So, uh, food sensitivity is a term which means that there are antibodies to specific food yeah. in, in your blood. So, you you take uh, types of food and test your blood, and if if antibodies bind, then people say it's a food sensitivity. Mm-hmm. But for example, what we know that most of us will have these antibodies to a variety of foods. Yes. So most of us, because we meet the food, we eat the food and then the antibodies develop. But these antibodies are mostly silenced by glycosylation. So most of us, even if they have something which is called food sensitivity, actually do not have problems if we eat that food. Mm-hmm only a small subgroup of people who have antibodies against a specific food actually develop food allergies. Okay. But yes, these are the antibodies which do the, the food allergy. They do the any other type of allergy. They kill all the uh, bacteria, viruses. If you get vaccinated, you develop antibodies against the vaccine. So these are those antibodies, these molecules, which are the, practically the key weapon of our immune system.
0: hmm and so now going back to what you were saying earlier about immunoglobulins, because I, I kind of cut you off. Um, immunoglobulins as, as it relates to what you're studying at the moment.
1: Yeah, so antibody is immunoglobulin. Okay. So they're the same things. We just use different names. So yes, my research is glycans on immunoglobulins or on antibodies. Mm-hmm. and They change in weeks, not in days. Although sometimes if there's a very radical change like some drugs or some uh, infections this can happen maybe in a week or two weeks but normally if we just do a lifestyle change if we go on a diet if we change an exercise pattern normally we would see a difference in two to three months not before Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, this is fascinating to me because i know one of the companies you're affiliated with of course is glycan age and we'll come to that towards the end uh but i want to get now into glycans uh as a predictor of either uh, risk or let's say longevity opportunities Uh, when you think about and i know you've spoken at rad and a few other places when you think about glycans in terms of uh how to use them for anti-aging, for instance. What can we glean from glycans in terms of predict- prediction ability? Because I know when I was talking to Nicolina, for instance, there's something around cardiovascular disease. Uh, but I'm curious what other things as well we can learn from glycans or potentially predict for.
1: So so far, we have analyzed over 150,000 different people mm-hmm. from the trying to understand when are glycans changed? Why do they change? And what happens after they change? So first thing, what we learned is that glycans in people with a disease are different than glycans in healthy people. Mm-hmm. So generally people with many different diseases, including the, the cardiovascular, inflammatory, they will have this older glycan. The glycans look if they were older. Mm-hmm. But when we did more studies, we learned that these glycans actually change before people become ill. Okay. So even if somebody is not ill yet, but he or she will have, for example, cardiovascular disease in the future, glycans may already be altered. And to a series of other studies, which were mostly collaborative with other people, we also found that in some experimental models, like for example, in mice, you can actually induce a disease by changing the glycan. So giving a wrong immunoglobulin glycans to mice, you can develop insulin resistance, you can develop hypertension, just by giving them the wrong sugars and antibodies. And by fixing these sugars, mm. there, there are ways in mice that you can feed them with some kind of a precursors, and then the glycans improve, Then, for example, you can protect mice for developing hypertension. You can have obese mouse, which will not develop hypertension. This is what we published this in Circulation last year, and Circulation is the best cardiovascular journal. So what we know is that these glycans are not only biomarkers, they're actually molecules which contribute to disease development, because they are regulating low-grade chronic inflammation. So if your immunoglobulins are suppressing these low great chronic inflammation, then for example, you will have less of those plaques formed in your arteries. You will have uh, less inflammatory processes everywhere around because you will suppress inflammation. Inflammation is good if you have to repair the damage, Mm -hmm. but too much inflammation is not good because every repair leaves a scar. Mm -hmm. And when there is too much of uh, destruction and then repair, then there are too many scars. And eventually this is one of the mechanisms which leads to aging. Mm -hmm. There's actually an entire theory of aging called inflammation, which says that inflammation is one of the main drivers of aging. Mm -hmm. And IgG glycosylation is one of the main um, kind of, um, it's not the driver inflammation, it's actually, it's it's a breaking, it's a stopping inflammation. It's attenuator of inflammation. So when you have these good, gly- good glycans, they suppress inflammation. By suppressing low-grade chronic inflammation, they actually kind of help not to develop diseases linked with chronic inflammation, which are more or less all uh, complex chronic diseases we have like diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, and so on.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I were to liken glycans as sort of the front line of defense, if you will, and so, if I'm looking at uh, a good analysis to do on myself, potentially having my glycans and my inflammatory markers all mapped at once. And with glycans, I may be able to see ahead of time what is going on within our, my system so that I can get ahead of, let's say, high sensitivity C reactive protein or whatever that marker is. Uh, And really just kind of bite it in the ass, so to speak, and address it much before it becomes an issue of systemic inflammation. Do I have that right? So if you spent any time following me on Instagram, you know that I recently ran an experiment where I took six different biological age tests and ran them all at the same time. One of the biological age tests that I was fascinated with was around glycans. And specifically, the company was called GlycanH. And they use what we're talking about here in this episode to determine your biological age. We get into some of the reasons why I'm so fascinated about glycans as a predictive measure in this episode. But if you want to try out glycanage for yourself or perhaps for your clients, you can go to glycanage.com and just order a test. We'll link to everything in the show notes. And if we have a discount available, you got it. So let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah, so the problem with that at the moment is, is that if you want to have a proper diagnostic assay, which you will do regularly with your physician, yeah. these assays have to be, it's called CE IVD validated. So there has to be C mark for, for in vitro diagnostics. For glycans, instruments and reagents to do analysis are not IVD. Certified mm-hmm. because they're still not on the market as a regular, as a, as a routine biomarkers. So you still cannot go to your physician and ask for a glycan profile. Mm-hmm. This will probably happen in maybe five to 10 years because we have something called the Human Glycan Project yeah. where we talk to the major instrument producers to validate their instruments for glycan diagnostics. So, so far, you can do the test only uh, for research only it's not a diagnostic test at the moment of course and the interpretation of that test that test has to be done by somebody who is medically certified so you cannot just go to the lab and order the test but you can do the test and then ask your uh, physician to interpret it which again is a bit complicated because most of the physicians don't know enough about glycans mm-hmm. because they never learned about it during their medical training yeah how many physicians in med school actually tackle glycans Mm, they don't. Yeah. Unfortunately, even even in in uh, during their PhD, they don't work on glycans most of the time. But th- th- this is growing. There are more and more people. E- even the um, the routine physicians were involved in the research that we do. As I said, we analyzed 150,000 people. All these people were somebody's patients. So this data is coming into the public domain now, and people learn more about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of just other interesting stuff you've learned from your research, cardiovascular disease, obviously, just because of my personal history with it and sort of family history with it is very interesting, but, uh, First, let's talk about cardiovascular disease. In terms of a predictor of risk, have you been able to map out just sort of how uh, accurate it is is sort of getting uh, ahead of the curve versus, let's say, uh, I mean, the most popular one out there, I guess, would be something like a, an LDL or something, LDL particle number.
1: We we did, we published one paper last year in diabetes care mm-hmm. where we analyzed a cohort of people which were collected close to 30 years ago. Around 30,000 people were sampled. It's so-called the EPIC cohort. 30,000 people were sampled. This was German part. In um, 30 years ago, they were followed up for 10 years, and then we had, I think, um, it was around 500 people who had either the heart attack or stroke in the follow-up period. Mm-hmm. So we analyzed them, and we analyzed the matching controls. And only glycans plus age had more information about predicting uh, future cardiovascular events than the entire so-called AHA score. AHA score is the American Heart Association score used for the prediction of cardiovascular events. So the, the only glycans and age of person is actually containing all the predictive information of everything else you can measure at the moment. This was just one study. We are currently replicating this in two other cohorts. We're doing this together with the Harvard Medical School. We got also a couple of thousand people which were collected a long time ago, mm-hmm. and they were followed up to see who will develop heart attack or a stroke. So we'll have uh, additional papers coming out soon.
0: Is this with Sinclair's lab or somebody else at Harvard? No, this was
1: not Sinclair. It was with the epidemiologist. Oh, okay. We do collaborate with David, but mostly on mice, not on people. Okay. Okay. We're working with people on Harvard.
0: Okay. Um, in terms of, I know you mentioned earlier, hypertension and the publication and circulation, uh, what other things can we use glycans to predict for? And I guess it is a little bit hard now with the commercially available tests, but hopefully that comes soon in the future. Uh, what other kind of areas, uh, perhaps uh, you mentioned diabetes a few times, for instance, is it all areas of potential chronic inflammatory diseases or is it some, some other aspects as well?
1: So I have to be a bit careful with oh, the. Of plans. course, of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> I don't uh, want to get you in trouble, Gordon. <laughs> so we we have this glycan age test, mm-hmm. which, is regu- which is registered and approved by the European Medicinal Agency as a test of biological age,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is not a diagnostic test. So it's kind of a measuring age of a person, and age correlates with many different diseases. So we know that the glycan age today correlates with the future cardiovascular events, future inflammatory diseases, future diabetes. This is something which correlates with increased glycan age. Mm-hmm. So you cannot use this test to diagnose these diseases, of course, because it's not a diagnostic test. Yeah. But we did um we're just writing a paper. I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it's definitely 20 plus different diseases where we see that glycans are contributing or responding to disease. So change in glycan associates with these different diseases, like uh, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, lupus, uh, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular events, and so on. Mm-hmm. So you know young people are generally healthy statistically, older people are generally not as healthy healthy. and this is individual trajectory Mm -hmm. some people are healthy in their 80s some people get ill in their 40s even earlier Mm -hmm. and this glycan age is one of the ways how one can track his own trajectory and contrary to other tests of biological age like um Methylation or telomeres or even some kind of a genetic predictors of disease risk. Glycans is something you can change. You can do an intervention and then your glycans change. And glycans are something which is not only a biomarker, but a functional effector. So if if you just change um, a biomarker, maybe it will not decrease your risk. For example, Uh, cholesterol, it's actually only a biomarker. Mm -hmm. There are many drugs which were developed which lower cholesterol, but they do not decrease the disease risk. Mm -hmm. Obviously, cholesterol is not the driver of the disease, it's a biomarker. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: While glycans, if you change a glycan, at least in some models where we have shown that, and at least in experimental animals, you can actually prevent disease because we know that glycans actually promote Inflammation. And if you can suppress inflammation, this is good. And we know that if you fix your glycans in a way that they look younger, they're actually suppressing inflammation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I suppose this data may not exist yet, but I'm, I'm curious. Uh, hypothetically, let's say if one were to have one of these diseases, the glycans could be the first signal, if you will, that you are doing the right things to either uh, halt it or reverse it. Has that been studied or is that sort of
1: hypothetically? We are, we are part of several large studies where we try to use glycans to predict therapy response. Mm-hmm. One of the big problems with the modern medicine is that we use traditional names for disease. For example, diabetes is not one disease. Even if you go for the type 2 diabetes, this is not one disease. There are many molecular pathways leading to that disease. Of course, yeah. And when you go to your physician, they don't know which molecular pathway you have. And for example, at the moment, we are in three large European projects which are focusing on. Chronic inflammatory diseases like um, inflammatory bowel disease, the arthritis, the the multiple basically autoimmune
0: conditions, I guess.
1: Inflammatory conditions with a stronger and uh, or less strong autoimmune autoimmune component, Mm -hmm. because not all inflammatory diseases are directly autoimmune. Mm -hmm. It would be just the the because autoimmunity means you have antibodies that attack your cells. Yeah. There are other inflammatory conditions where there are not so many antibodies.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And uh, what we are trying to see there, if if changes in glycans will predict response to a specific therapy. And for example, we did some large studies with different biological drugs, the monoclonal antibodies. And then we see that, for example, these drugs do change glycans. And sometimes they also predict this therapy response. So there is a lot of research in that direction. But I don't think that at the moment this is something which people should be doing to themselves. Yeah. You know if 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 somebody is ill, it's their physician who should be helping them of course. because they know all the details. Don't go and read papers and say, you know, my <laughs> IgG glycosylation is something and then you should change my therapy. This is this is a little bit too early for that. Yeah, but the, we are going into that direction. We are doing research in
0: that direction. Uh, that would be a very cavalier approach to things. Uh, Gordon, I, I want to come back to just sort of the idea of glycan modification, because most of the people listening to this are probably saying like, hey, that's great. I have a, a really good biomarker that that moves with, or not a biomarker, sorry, I used that term. I shouldn't. Uh, I have a, a biological age test that actually moves with my lifestyle modifications and I can track that over time. Uh, what are some of the, if you're privy to this information or if I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of these people, what are some of the more um, Potent lifestyle modifications when it comes to moving one's glycans and hence glycan age?
1: So, something which works in most people is losing weight. Mm-hmm. So, if we are overweight, our glycans are generally more pro inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And we had several cohorts of people undergoing uh, bariatric surgery. If you do a bariatric surgery, people usually lose 10, 15, 20 kilos. And then their glycan age can improve for 10 or 20 years within a couple of months. So this is really working for some people, not for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We also did a large cohort of, uh, we had 2000 twins, which were sampled three times across 15 years. And the twins who were gaining weight at their age were aging faster in glycans than the twins who were losing weight or not gaining weight. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you get fat, your glycans become more Mm pro-inflammatory. If you lose excess weight, then your glycans become better. For example, in me personally, this is the strongest effector. Mm -hmm. So when I'm losing weight, my glycan age goes down. When I'm gaining weight, it goes up again. Uh, Other very strong uh, um, effectors for glycan age is for example, exercise. But too much exercise can actually be bad. I was so going to ask that, important. like
0: there's sort of a curve, if you will,
1: right? Yeah. So based on, we don't have enough study to be completely confident, but from our preliminary data, it seems that these uh, high-intensity interval trainings are the least damaging for this pro-inflammatory component. Because, you know, when you think about professional athlete, they would be considered old in their late 30s. hmm Mm-hmm. While in anywhere else, somebody in late thirties is still young. Yeah. So doing asking too much from your body comes with a price.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I think that it is important to be physically active, but it's also important to have a period of relaxation, which then enable all the metabolism to calm down, to stop all these inflammatory processes. Because you know, if you exercise too much, it hurts, and when something hurts, it's usually a signal. That there is something wrong. Of course, it has to hurt if you want to build up the muscles. Mm-hmm. But if you do it too much, and we often see that people who do overtraining get get worse on their glycanate, The good thing is they usually they can improve rapidly, but just adding a little bit more of relaxation. Mm-hmm. So don't don't kill yourself in a gym. At least your glycans don't like it. <laughs> so uh, stress is very important parameter. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to distinguish from uh, food, from um, other habits, sleep. So-, so stress
0: can come in many different forms, right? So- yes, yeah, so,
1: and it's usually linked. So mm-hmm. you're under stress, and then you eat, and then so. But this is one of the important components. So if you kind of fix your uh, mental state, usually your glycans improve. Uh, there are some biohacking approaches which seem to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. I will not name anything specific because we are still not sure what is really working and what is not, because usually people who do biohacking...
0: They do a, of- a shitload of stuff at once, yeah, right?
1: So- for example, we have a collaboration with, with anti-aging clinic in New York, and practically all clients, all patients who go there are 20 to 40 years younger. So obviously some of these therapies work. hmm Hormones are very potent, but one has to be careful with the hormones.
0: There's so, something in your presentation that I watched about estrogen um, and the correlation there. Is that specifically with women or is so,
1: it? So uh, I, The problem is with most of these studies, if you just do correlations, mm-hmm. then many things correlate. Of course. It's really hard to know what is causing. And so far, only for estrogen, we did a proper randomized placebo-controlled trial. So we had a cohort of females. This was done in, you know, at one American university nearly 10 years ago. They had, I think, 36 females. They induced the menopause chemically, So gave them the chemical to stop production of one of the hormones. And then either gave them the estrogen patch, the supplement hormones, or gave them the placebo. And the placebo group got on average 10 years older within a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you take uh, estrogen from, uh, from a young female, the glycine age goes up rapidly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when you stop this uh, intervention, when the estrogen is normally produced, then the glycine age goes down again. Mm-hmm. So estrogen is definitely causative in young women. Uh, we are currently doing a study of um, older women when they enter uh, menopause. So there is this perimenopause period when they are changing, but the hormones go up and down like crazy. So it's very hard to know where it is. And we are just drafting a paper, we haven't published it yet, which shows that also this happens with onset of menopause. So it's not only with the young woman, it's also with the natural onset of menopause, the loss of estrogen leads to the higher glycan age. For men, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, There are some data suggesting that testosterone has an effect, but testosterone can also be converted to estrogen. So maybe it's actually testosterone moving into estrogen and then changing. So um, I would like to have a nice placebo-controlled, randomized trial to see whether it's estrogen. Maybe the small doses of estrogen work in men. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We have to look. This is something we still have to look.
0: Wow. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating, Gordon, and I know it's probably the first of many conversations that you and I will have because uh, my mind is blown, and I am really excited. I know, uh, you know, I've been in touch with Nicolina about doing a glycan age test myself, uh, but I, I just want to thank you for taking the time today uh, to come on the show and educate my audience really uh, about this this development that's been around for so long and, you know, is now finally coming to the fore, so to speak, at least in the commercial sense. So I hope uh, hope we can continue this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure. And I do hope we'll repeat this. And I do hope that more people will start learning about their glycans and see what they can actually do to improve. Because one of the approaches glycan age as a company has is that we try to collaborate with people, organize the clinical trials, also with individuals to collect information and actually learn what works in person A and does not work in person B and so on, because there is no standard human. Each of us is different and we have to learn how different we are, and this is something we cannot see in the mirror. You know, when we you look yourself in the mirror, you're more or less the same because the last time you looked was yesterday, and you didn't change. Mm-hmm. While well, these molecules, which you can quantify, give you some information which you cannot see just by looking. And I think this is why all these uh, measuring uh, everything, not only glycans but all other things, is so important.
0: Mm-hmm. Gordon, before we go, where can people find out more about you, your work, et cetera?
1: So I'm very active on social networks, LinkedIn, Twitter. I post most of the things we publish. There's also a thing called um, Knowledge Hub on the Glycanage website, where we try to um, kind of uh, tell the story in a simpler way without too much hard scientific words so maybe starting from the glycanage.com and then looking into the knowledge hub or my social networks i try to communicate science to the public as much as i can
0: and i sincerely appreciate you for doing so and your dedication and rigor really comes through in how you converse about it so thank you so much again gordon for coming on the show
1: today it's my pleasure thank you
0: As you can see, I got a little bit vulnerable in that conversation. In fact, there's a lot that I did not know about glycans that I really took away from this episode, and I hope you did too. Again, the show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash glycan. And if you enjoy the episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, and please leave a five-star review. All of those reviews help, and I really, really appreciate you.